not Paul McCartney. It's the, the walrus, and the Sasquatch is also a walrus. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the Matt Rushmore Podcast. I'm Jeff Hopkins, and I'm joined, as usual, by my good buddies, Richard Manfredi. Hello. And Michael Winfield. Howdy. Richard and Michael uh, spend the lion's share of their time in a full-on bicker with each other, debating back and forth about the Mount Rushmore of any given topic, the top four things that best represent a certain topic. And this time, the topic is hoaxes. Richard, you chose this. Why? Well, I, I'm just absolutely fascinated by Tell us the real story. <laughs> I'm absolutely fas- fascinated by kind of hoaxes and ruses and con men. And I kind of, just, just to sort of clarify at least my stance on this, I think there is a difference between, between a hoax and kind of a con Okay. And I think the difference is like a hoax is something that's sort of perpetrated on the general public mm-hmm. or something that's sort of meant for a large audience. You, I, I and a con is kind of something that's more of a there's a direct mark oh. who's involved. Okay. And, and usually there's some sort of like attempt to get specific sure. reward out of it. Okay. And hoaxes can't you get, they can lead to people getting rewards, but that's usually not. Hoaxes, hoaxes tend to be like, at least on some level, playful. Um, like whether, or at least you know, they're they're I, they always feel like there is a nature of uh, not being too super serious uh-huh. versus a con, which is like, oh, now I have zero money in my bank, uh, yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah, why did I send if, this if money were, to this African prince? If you were at a party and somebody on the other end was a, a hoax creator or an art forger or something like that, you go talk to that person. But mm. if it was a halo with a guy that has a con man, <laughs> well, you'd know him by the straw boater and the the suit with the stripes on yeah. it and the bow tie. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen the sting before. I know how this works. <laughs> okay, so, um, well, that's good to know, the difference. Let's split our hairs between, um, uh, and a con might be something you can repeat over and over again. A yeah. Gri- a gr- petty grift kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, but it does seem like a hoax inspires the imagination, where a con just kind of is a little like a magic trick that removes money from your wallet. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Um, so Richard's choice, that means Michael's first. Uh, I have four categories this week. I took a break. <sighs> but we, listen, back in the full swing of things. Uh, my categories are monsters, oh, man, man, the moon, and media. I wish they all began with H. That would make a lot more sense, but I started down one path, and I might as well stick know, to it. I know for a fact these were all Scooby-Doo episodes. <laughs> Just tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So my first my first category is monsters, and we're going to talk about the uh, Patterson Gimlin footage of Bigfoot. Oh wow! From nineteen sixty seven. Okay. And this is the famous um, movie. Uh, yeah, eight millimeter film, video. isn't it, or home something? Film. Yeah. It's uh, nine hundred fifty four frames. It's 59 and a half seconds long. Mm-hmm. It's anywhere from 16 to 24 frames per second, depending on which skeptic, which debunker, yeah. which true believer you may believe of someone in a goddamn girl suit yeah. <laughs> walking along in Northern California, looking over their shoulder. And apparently that is proof of uh, the fictitious Bigfoot <laughs> that doesn't exist, everybody. Bigfoot doesn't exist. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Oh, of course not. Yeah, okay. But the the interesting thing is the person that... Uh, if Sasquatch fought him on <laughs> um, 
of the Steve Austin in the Six Million Dollar Man. That means he exists, right? We know who played uh, Sasquatch, wasn't that Andre the Giant? Was it really? <laughs> oh, I'm going to go ahead and say it was. Right Andre, I feel like it was. Andre the Giant was every creature in every movie. It's I'm going to look this Richard up while Peel. you guys talk. Okay. Okay. So, um, why do you think it was compelling for people? This. Oh, so the guy Patterson, one of the two guys, he had been kind of researching and looking for Bigfoot for a number of years and spent probably like four or five years and a lot of money looking for Bigfoot <laughs> because he had heard yeah. he's up or she or whatever this thing is, is yeah. up in this area of the Pacific Northwest, Northern California. And um, I mean, it just so happens to be that he found him and happens to be that he got video and happens to be a video film mm-hmm. that got a good shot of him looking over the shoulder yeah. of this or a she because this sun, thing had yeah. this tremendous bosom of <laughs> hairy flabbiness yeah. yeah and you know it was filmed so poorly and was so shaky and had all of the aspects of what you couldn't believe yeah that but enough that it was like oh well maybe it Maybe that was true. There was enough to get a good In Search of episode out <laughs> oh, of it. Oh, God. Neboy's narration would send chills up my spine. And Do you think that was that era, there were so many man-ape things like uh, Planet of the Apes? And, um, was that Coco the gorilla around that time? <laughs> oh, I don't know how the long sign language gorilla? Coco was around. But it seems like we were fascinated from the time of King Kong to a certain time about the the genetic crossover or I think, similarities? I think, too, it also hit it at, at a really key time where, like, special effects or, like, visual effects were kind of coming into their own a little bit. Like, yeah. you're just coming out of, like, the schlocky 1950s, you know, Plan okay. 9 from outer space octopus that you're grabbing by yeah. your hand and flinging yeah. around to... Uh, maybe you can. You're doing a little bit better with you know a Stan yeah. Baker sort of... I've heard in 2001 the Stuart Freeborn apes were not awarded an Oscar because people just assumed they were actually apes. Hmm. So that was, yeah, that were the, the visual effects had, the costume effects had kind of developed. So uh, there, uh, the incredible, if you have 40 minutes on your lunch break, go read the nonsensical Wikipedia entry <laughs> for, uh, for this film. Okay. And the detail that they go into in terms of debating it uh-huh. and all the different people that are on the pro side and wow, on the yeah. con side. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the defenders will say, like the two guys, it was like this guy Patterson and his friend Gimlin. And so they'd kicked Zapruder out of the filmmaking crew by then? <laughs> I mean, it's it, there almost feels like a direct yeah. link to this Zapruder <laughs> type of film. Like you could almost, maybe that was why, when when was Kennedy shot? 64? 63. 63. Like, it's within that sort of time frame that it looks very similar yeah. to that film. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there is a kind of connection to where, like, where, like, just society is like, that looks ex- almost exactly like, uh, or okay. all films look that way. Yeah. But then maybe, you know, we're in 2016 and a skeptical eye looks back and is like, uh-huh. it's a person in a suit walking along. Yeah. Um, I guess there have been people, there's a guy, um, uh, Philip Morris of Morris Costumes kind of came out. Not that Philip Morris of smoking yeah, cigarettes yeah, sure. <laughs> and causing cancer. Uh-huh. Um, he claims, he's like said in 2002, that he created the suit. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, the person, I can't remember his name, uh, but the people that started the craze of looking for Bigfoot in that area in yeah. Northern California, 
also admitted that he faked all the footprints. Oh, sure. <laughs> so like it was like a hoax upon a hoax leading to what is very obviously another hoax. Yeah. And I think that we'll I think we'll talk about this throughout the podcast is that I think people really want to believe yeah. whatever they want to believe. So mm-hmm. they kind of go all in and are willing to accept the fantastic, even though it seems very obvious. Yeah. All right. So uh, coming out swinging um, with your alleged um, statement that Bigfoot isn't real. Okay, Richard. Breaking news, by the way. Andre the Giant did play Sasquatch. There you oh, go. Oh, that's so pleasing. Oh, one, so one, one last footnote on, on Bigfoot. Have you seen that crappy Animal Planet show, Finding Bigfoot? No. no, it's it's like this quasi documentary about these people that like every week it's been on for eight years mm-hmm. and has 90 episodes. And it's basically this fat guy leaving donuts around on logs because it's because <laughs> he's feeling kind of squatchy. And then the donut disappears as proof. It's been 90 episodes and you haven't found Bigfoot. He's, oh it doesn't God. exist. I as a kid, I think I discovered Bigfoot about the same time I discovered Chewbacca. And I think they were kind of aligned in my brain a little bit. Guys, Bigfoot travels a lot. He's got a busy <laughs> schedule, a lot of business meetings. So if you don't see him when you go to the Northwest, it may just be that he's right. you know, on a flight to Chicago, got a couple of marketing <laughs> meetings he's got to attend to. Yeah, cut an album with Peter Frampton. <laughs> All right, so what's your first one? Uh, so my first one, I'm going to kind of stick with the the idea of people wanting to believe something even though they should know it's not. Yeah. I'm going to the Cardiff Giant. Okay. Ooh. What's this? So um, in 1869, workers uh, were digging a well at the uh, house of uh, William Stubb Newell, which, by the way, is great already to begin with. We're in good, we're in good shape here with anyone named Stubb. Stubb's a good nickname. That's incredible. I hope he had, was missing some fingers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really hope. Um, so they, they're digging a well, and they happen to find what appears to be the petrified remains of of a 10-foot-tall giant. What had actually happened was (laughs) Stubb Newell was a tobacconist, and he was also an atheist, and he got into either got into an argument or heard an argument with some uh, Methodist preachers talking about Genesis 6-4, which talks about there were giants living among us on the earth. Mm -hmm. And basically the argument he had was, well, why haven't we found any of these? Good question. So what he did is he spent about $2,000 of his own money to um, purchase a 10-foot-tall block of gypsum and had it shipped to Chicago where he swore to secrecy a uh, sculptor who then sculpted out the rough kind of outline of a 10-foot-tall giant, um, you know, poked holes in it with ice picks to give it pores and things like that. Had it, had where it, approximately should a wiener be on this thing? Oh, well, I can, I where sh- approximately should a wiener be? Oh no, it's, it's Cardiff, New York. You're good. Oh, sorry, not Cardiff, England. No, okay, do the uh, do the do the upstate New York one. Yo, Tony, where's the schlong on a giant? <laughs> no, not Brooklyn. <laughs> so here's what it looked like. I'm gonna show it to you guys. We'll put it up on the website. But oh, that's see, real. there it is. And speaking of schlong, jeez, that's was, the giant. Is that the giant? One, that's the giant in the Cardiff wow. giant, folks. Oh, Spared no expense on that one. Hey, you know, you're gonna spend twenty two hundred dollars in in eighteen, you know, fifty eight money. Holy Get your smart. money's worth out of How it. How are you mummified erect like that? You think some <laughs> shrinkage would occur? That was, was shrinking. That, that was shrinkage. Shrunk? Oh my god. Poor Mrs. Giant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we have to investigate what killed her. So then he had it carved and then shipped back, and then he buried it in his own backyard. 
and waited six months and then hired people to come dig a well in the exact same spot. Uh. So miraculously, this was found. Um, he started charging 25 cents for people to come and see it, and people were flocking to it. Now, actual scientists looked at it and said, this is not a petrified remain. You can see chisel marks. <laughs> this is obviously a yeah. forgery. Yeah. But people who were very religious, Christian conservatives, uh, theologians, preachers, just continued to insist, nope, this is this is really a, a petrified giant, and this is proof that what happened in Genesis really happened. And wow. <laughs> Which, again, goes into that idea of just when you want to believe something. Yeah. Just facts do bias. not yeah. get in the way of yeah. it. Yeah. Which you just look at what's hap- what happens today with politics mm-hmm. and just the internet and just everything. People, facts do not get in the yeah. way of a good story anymore. Yeah. Do, are either of you choosing an art forger as your... No. Okay. No. There's this great blog. I think it's on... I think it's Human Brain. It's on the internet? It's on the internet. Okay. The internet. But it, it talks about false provenance. Like when you're creating an art forgery, if you can discover along with the piece of art some drawings that show preparation for that art, so those, you know, Picasso would, or... He'd do sketches before he'd do do his Yeah, so if you do sketches that look like a study to prepare for that painting, and if they don't quite match the painting, as if the sketch, uh, the the artist wouldn't then, you'd create a sketch that looked like kind of a preparation, but it wouldn't look exactly how the painting... Um, so essentially, figuring out how an art, um, how an art expert thinks, and how somebody who would verify the 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 veracity of that painting, what they would be looking for, and then create all those breadcrumbs that would lead them to believe that it's true. Hmm. Then you're appealing to the ego of a person who believes himself to be an expert, that has a formula for assessing something to be accurate, and just put some things that aren't necessarily. The drawings wouldn't necessarily be perfectly aged to the age that they're supposed to be on the exact same type of paper that they should be. But that expert saw these things that led them to believe that they were correct. So it sounds like that's what that guy was doing. He, he took it. He buried it. It wouldn't be – he couldn't have dug it up himself and just had it right there. He let other yeah. people find it. Yeah, he, yeah. so that makes it – increases the, uh, the authenticity of it. Yeah. Now, the story's not over, by the way. Oh, so. No. He eventually starts charging 50 cents, because why not? Yeah. This attracts the attention of a syndicate um, led by David Hannum, who buy it for, from him for $430,000 oh in today's money. I think it was yeah. like $23,000 back then. So he turned like a basically a 10 times profit on his original investment. They start ex- exhibiting it in Syracuse. Becomes a big hit there. P.T. Barnum sees this and goes, well, I need to get in on this action. <laughs> offers <laughs> offers the syndicate $50,000 for it. They refuse. So what does P.T. Bar- Barnum do? He makes a copy of that, starts displaying it, and says, I bought the real one from the syndicate. They made a forgery of it, and now they're <laughs> displaying a forgery. <laughs> which what, is incredible. What, what a so great, it's, it's a hoax on top of a hoax, right? Double hoax. Now we're on a double it. hoax. So the syndicate sues P.T. Barnum, and actually uh, Hannum goes to the press and says, if you go to see the uh, P.T. Barnum version, you're a sucker because there's a sucker born every minute. Uh And that's where it gets misattributed to P.T. Barnum, but it was actually said about him. Okay. So while this suit is going on, Hull finally goes to the press and says, you know what, this was all a fake. Admits to it. So the lawsuit lawsuit is thrown out because you can't forge a... A forgery, you know, you can't fake a fake. Yeah, and and everyone winds up just losing money on it, except for him, and I guess Barnum too, because yeah. Barnum always found a way to make money. And that's no, great. No white guy's got a schlong that big. Come on, 
Exactly, yeah, guys. Right. And actually, um, fans of the uh, show Halt and Fire will recognize the Cardiff Giant because that is the uh, name of the uh, computer being engineered for the series. Ah, oh, that was also a name in the uh, Made movie with uh, Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, a, chauffeur, a chauffeuring company. Uh, so, Michael, what's your second? Uh, my second category is Man, and it's the hoax that Paul McCartney is dead. Now, I don't know if this goes quite under, like, the conspiracy theory or under, like, just the weird rumor. Uh But basically, uh, Paul McCartney died uh, in a car crash in 1966 and was replaced by an exact lookalike. And a lot of the rumor mongering kind of started after um, 1969, after Abbey Road came out. And uh, there was a writer... Um, named Fred Labour, who wrote for the Michigan Daily. And I guess there was uh, some other radio show that kind of had prompted this. Um, uh, they kind of went into like, he went on for like an hour, hour and a half of just radio talking about all the things on the cover of Abbey Road or all of the different aspects in... Um, symbols of death. Symbols, symbols of yeah. death that are kind of surrounded everything mm-hmm. that... Uh, that were kind of just put forward by this writer and he didn't kind of let up and like it's it's amazing how in depth they've the hoax has been trying to like it's like this weird uh, what's the word like you're looking f- you're looking for something mm-hmm. so you can start putting the pieces together yeah. even though it could be anything. Yeah, it's inductive reasoning. You start with a result and then find you evidence to support the yeah. result. Yeah. So you look at the Abbey Road cover and there was a, you know, you start with the four Beatles being on, you know, yeah. walking across the road and Paul's in white. So they're like, oh, well, he obviously represents. And he's out of step, I think, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, uh, not John's Paul. in it's white. Not wearing, John's in white. He's not wearing shoes, right? Yeah. John's yeah. in white in the front, obviously representing God or yeah. the afterlife. Uh Ringo's second, and he's uh, wearing like jeans and like coveralls, mm-hmm. representing like the grave the digger. Grave digger yeah. Paul is barefooted and out of step, and obviously yeah. dead. And um, uh, who's the last one? George. George. Uh, oh, George was a grave digger. Uh, Ringo is dressed in black as a Paul. But like, it's yeah. like, okay, so and they're all on acid. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, it goes into like looking at like the details of the the license plate. And yeah. what the license plate means. And then you look at the women in the background and, well, she's standing next to this thing. And if you look really closely, it kind of looks like a skull. And these mm-hmm. dots represent, you know, connect the dots to a three. And it says three beetles, which obvious, obviously means. Yeah. And it, the, the, there was one like the Sergeant Pepper's album cover, like the way like his hand is positioned. Mm-hmm. There's somebody's some, hand is over him. It's supposed to a, represent a something. Yeah. Or just a wave. <laughs> and he's yeah. wearing like on that Sergeant Pepper's. Uh, album he's wearing like a like a badge mm-hmm. that says um people say oh it says o- opd for officially pronounced dead but it's it's ob it's, it's, it it's opp for ontario provincial police oh, it was oh that's badge. what opp stands for i believe yeah, it stands for something else <laughs> um you know and the in the strawberry fields forever like all of these things that build into all is dead Wall. Yeah, I'm buried, Paul. Right. It's, it's, it's cranberry sauce. Paul. Cranberry sauce. And all this nonsense that is. Why would people want them to be dead? I, I think because the lie is better than the reality, uh-huh. or like the hoax is better than reality. It's it's a 
the idea that one of the four most famous people in the world at the time is not that person, but yeah. they are the exact twin lookalike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where mo- did they, where did they find this lookalike? Do you do you remember this or know this? Any chance? Mexico. <laughs> yeah. I'm Raul, Ma- Raul I re- McCartney. Raul, well, you know, uh, yeah, that that was actually the uh, the name he would check into was like Raul Ramon. Oh, okay. At hotels, that's where the Ramones got their name. I mean, oh. true story. Um, I, I I think it was supposed to be like a winner of a Paul like lookalike contest, which just a coincidence. He also sounds and plays instruments just like Paul. <laughs> There's something about the rain. The video they shot for rain, like Paul had been in like a minor car accident. And so he had chipped a tooth. So if you look at the video for it, he's got like a chipped tooth. Oh. That was allegedly some sort of proof okay. of the lookalike had a chipped tooth that they uh-huh. needed to get fixed. Uh-huh. There's a weird connection to like, – like the guy that wrote the article eventually kind of fessed up to it and was like, yeah, I kind of helped push things this along because yeah. it helped me – it helped me gain a bigger audience. Uh-huh. And I think that's what a lot of them – a lot of these hoaxes are. Therefore, this weird limelight thing and kind of weird pushing your own yeah. – just a celebrity agenda. You know, if you're the first person that found Bigfoot or this Cardiff giant, mm-hmm. or you're the person that put all the clues together to discover that Paul McCartney is dead, you gain some celebrity out of your nothing yeah. life. Okay, so um, you've each um, come up with uh, one choice. So, Richard, what's your second? Okay, my second choice. I am going to go sp- a sports hoax. Sorry, guys. Oh, wow. Brown Tans can be so pissed. I'm, I'm going with Sid Finch who was a uh, invention uh, kind of cut from whole cloth of George Plimpton, the former sp- for- famous sports writer, rock on tour type, uh, for the April 1st edition of Sports Illustrated in 1985. First clue, April yeah. 1st. I don't tried, believe anything that I, you see I, on I April 1st. I try to avoid April 1st ones, because for the most part, April 1st things are just shitty. Entertainment. Like, I just hate yeah. April 1st. I really do. And as someone who loves pranks and hoaxes and things like that it's just amateur hours it's how we feel about drinking on St. Patrick's Day yeah. it's for fucking amateurs and yeah. they're terrible and some radio host is gonna like yeah true alcoholics <laughs> drink every day <laughs> damn right and then and then beat their their, their wife and damn hoax skippy. the shit out of people ho- every day oh my liver is exploding ha <laughs> ha just kidding uh-huh. no it's not so the uh, managing editor of Sports Illustrated realized that the edition was gonna fall on April 1st and he had originally contacted George Plimpton to come up with an article, sort of just like a top 10 sort of thing of famous sports hoaxes. Well, Plimpton was having trouble doing it, so the editor said, well, why don't you just go ahead and make one up on your own? So he invented the story of Sid Finch, who was allegedly raised in an English orphanage, but had moved to Tibet to study uh, kind of yoga and sort of holy stuff. Learned to throw by picking up rocks. And he kind of threw like, remember Goofy and Sport Goofy? Yeah. He would throw like that. He was like 6'6", weighed 170 pounds, uh, threw with one boot on and and uh, barefoot on the other foot, um, but allegedly could throw the ball 168 miles per hour with a perfect control every time. Yeah. Um, so the Mets had scout had found him and that had signed him, but he wasn't sure if he was going to play baseball or become a French horn player. That was the other thing he enjoyed. <laughs> and people believed this. Oh, people people fell for this hook line. Well. Some people did. Like uh, a reporter for one of the New York newspapers got mad at the Mets PR person for not giving him the scoop on the story. A couple of general managers from other teams actually called the uh, commissioner to get upset and say that there's no way that you can allow this guy to pitch. It would be too dangerous for our hitters. (laughs) And to the Mets' credit, they actually went along with this. They uh, gave him a locker in spring training 
they allowed uh, one of a photographer from Sports Illustrated, one of his friends who really kind of fit the part, to come in and kind of act like Sid Finch, like in the <laughs> locker room. They had Mets players. There's grainy footage of him walking around <laughs> and then turning over his shoulder and looking back. And <laughs> I mean, if this was done today, there probably would have been like some sort of like fake video with editing and everything done yeah. to show that. But what they had was like camera footage of one of the Mets catchers, not ca- like like photos of one of the Mets catchers catching a pitch and being knocked back about two feet <laughs> and like showing his hand being completely red from catching the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and the, the subhead of the story, the first letters of everything like read happy April fools, but like some people caught it. Most people didn't. And it became this sort of legendary, they actually had to have a press conference with Sid Finch to it. He was going to announce his retirement that he decided to go back to, to to, to French horn playing. (laughs) And, and, and and for like (laughs) Mets fans got really disappointed about this. Like they thought somehow they had stumbled upon this pitcher who could throw 168 miles per hour, yeah. which context, I think the fastest like Nolan Ryan ever threw is probably like 105. So it would have been unhittable and just impossible. Mm-hmm. But I think that says something about sports is we all want to believe that there's somebody out there who is the natural. Can, yeah. It's like the freak, you know, yeah. it's like the, it's somebody who is outside the realm of, of what yeah. we think is humanly possible. Yeah. That's why we love Usain Bolt or somebody yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And people were just so willing to buy into this, 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 cockamamie story yeah and it, but it is just sort of the slice of you couldn't do that today you couldn't pull off this whole ruse carry it through spring training run this article and not have somebody leak it yeah or somebody dissect mm-hmm. it or figure it out or how come there's no footage of any of this yeah like like somebody would figure this out at some point hmm. so what's interesting about those the two choices you've made is i think the uh the the status with which we held literate uh Journalism and film at that time, I think people weren't used to being um, having their leg pulled through those things. So if it was published in print in a national magazine, well, that must be right, right? <laughs> and I feel like if you see it on film, pictures don't lie, do they? So there was something about the platform at that time that gave legitimacy to these ridiculous, ridiculous claims. Well, I would say that, well, here's the thing. There's one I didn't include. It was, it was the one I was kicking around between either that or the Cardiff Giant. And it was the uh, the Central Park Zoo escape of was it eighteen? It was just like eighteen sixty four or something like that. Basically, a editor with the New York Herald, which was this one of the major newspapers, had walked through Central Park Zoo and noticed that some of the locks were flimsy. So he decided to write and publish a front page, six page story that all of the animals had escaped from the zoo. <laughs> And we're running riot in the city, like lions, like very graphic details of lions mauling and eating people, bears going into churches and attacking people who are worshiping, the mayor coming out saying everyone needs to stay in there, stay in the street, or stay out of the streets, you know, stay at home. Totally made up. Never happened. But this type of thing you, that newspapers thought they could get away with. Yeah. Yeah, six-page article telling people there's horrible massacre that hundreds of people are being killed. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. After, after, the, uh, after the break, that'll lead into my next one. Oh, well, good. Okay, that leads us to our break. Guys, please, we are real. We are not a hoax. We are a podcast uh, that is created by three very well-meaning dudes who want to reach a bigger audience. And you can help us get to that audience by leaving a review and rating us on iTunes or following us on social media at our Twitter 
on our Facebook. And while you're at Facebook, go ahead and leave some comments about any episodes that you've enjoyed and suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to uh, be more real to more people, and you can help us get that way. All right, so we're back. Who's up? Uh, I'm up, and Richard kind of talked about the like importance of newspaper and, and, and writing and how much you just uh, inherently believed in newspapers back in the turn of the century or even before. And so my next one is under the moon category, and it's the great moon hoax of <laughs> yes, 1835. That's a great is, one. You've used Scooby-Doo plots <laughs> in each of your things. The ice cream monsters came along, <laughs> and uh, Phyllis <laughs> Diller was there for some reason. They would have gotten away with it. <laughs> Uh, so this is um, six articles that were published in a New York newspaper, The Sun, um, in August of 1835. Apparently, you know, and I realize that everything that we have said today could have just been prefaced with apparently. Yeah. I don't know how many times I want to say apparently. <laughs> or allegedly. And allegedly, allegedly had to qualify. Um, it was about the discovery of life on the moon um, and that there was like this civilization there that had giant buildings and oh. were they moonites <laughs> they weren't moonanites mm. uh but the, the there's a bat type creature that the writer had uh that had dubbed them the uh, i'll have to read this uh, the verse the ver the vespertilio homo which is just some sort of so latin for batman <laughs> basically batman on the moon it's the, that's what those guys were calling me the other day <laughs> okay and um i guess he just claimed this writer that uh, this was discovered by some new uh, telescope oh, that no. was so incredible. And then when people asked to see the telescope, uh, it was destroyed uh, in a fire. That's how you get all, got out of everything in the 1830s. <laughs> right. Fires were so there were a prominent lot of fires. <laughs> that it was just like, what happened? Well, you know, fire. <laughs> what are you going to do? Just uh, burned it all down. We haven't figured out what puts it out yet. They, didn't, they then actually discovered that water put out fire until like 1920. <laughs> That story checks out. Fire. I mean, the the writer apparently, this guy Richard Locke, his intentions were to just basically create a fantastical story to get you know the publication numbers up, to get yeah. readership up yeah. of the newspaper, and that was about it. Like there was no like, and everyone you know, everyone just believed him. There were drawings, yeah, in it's the a, newspaper. It's just amazing how you look back, especially in the nineteenth century. The concept of lying or making <laughs> shit up in the newspaper was just no, just just it was just there's accepted. This thing, there's this thing called Fox News. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough, fair enough, and balanced, and it is fair enough and balanced enough. I mean, if you're going to go through the process of actually printing papers, I guess the general populace probably assumed that it would be true. Yeah, and um, I don't know, I. I what was interesting was that this was a hoax to counteract another hoax. Wait, what? Uh, there was another report in like 1824, like 10 years earlier, about a civilization on the moon. So this was put out to counteract the previous publication, saying that one was the actual hoax. This is what was actually for real. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, this was kind of a, a validation or a yeah. fact check of something. Okay, wow. And... um. I guess Edgar Allan Poe also wrote a story that was, I think, shelved that was about a civilization mm -hmm. on the moon that kind of came out right around the same time. And so there, there's all, like, people were really interested in, wow. in like, this moon, moon culture. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that carried over to, you know, 1969 when they faked the moon landing, which is 100% <laughs> yeah. real is what totally. they did. 
I've they didn't actually land on the moon, you know. Stanley Kubrick yeah. did it, yeah. yeah. I, I thought in 1982, MTV discovered the moon man. Uh, <laughs> he planning, was up there. Planting the MTV flag on the moon. I think it's so interesting, you know, reading about this this particular hoax, and then 100 years later, and the moon landing, and so many, like, crazy moon truthers that will yeah. just, like, they will not believe it. Like, All the it, truthers. Like, <laughs> like, we're not going to talk about flat earthers, are we? No, I wish. What I... One of my biggest pet peeves is people who instantly share the thing, and the, the, the viral nature of media on the internet has allowed to go beyond, I think trip up that thing in your mind where you stop and think, wait, is this true or not? Like if you had to write, a, if I had to send a picture in the mail of something that I thought was interesting but could or could not be true to somebody in Florida, I'd have to lick a stamp, I'd have to write it on an envelope, and I have to send it there. On the internet, you can just click forward. And so if it's if it's grandma slam dunks the ball, and it's clearly something that's special effects, you know, <laughs> created. Yeah, grandma so, Grandma so doesn't many, have those hops. So no, people. No, unless it's a nine foot rim. Well, grandmama, Larry Johnson could have. <laughs> grandmama Carter could have. Uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that, that whole aspect of the media for my last pick, but okay. I, I'm sure Richard has a lot to say. No, I just. You, it's this. It's that idea of I can just forward something. I have relatives of mine who will just spam and forward the most obviously fake yeah. stories. Yeah, and I usually very conservative based often, mm-hmm. but just stuff that I can just go on Snopes and go nope. Oh, and yeah. then you you know send it back. I I for a while I would send it back and go well actually no this is not true, and send them like a Snopes link, and when I get back as well. I know it wasn't saying it was true or not. I just thought it was interesting. Right. Yeah. It's I like, do, well, that doesn't no, that doesn't work. You know, yeah. you're spreading. No, you don't. It's not good. You don't spread lies because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I do like that the Snopes website is basically. It sounds like a drunk person like uh, refuting something. Snopes. Snopes. <laughs> Snopes. <laughs> Snopes. <laughs> Snopes. <laughs> it's not possible. The yeah. Okay. So uh, what's your third, Richard? My third. I am going with a. I'll go with a specific prank. Slash hoax done by a man called Joey Skaggs. <laughs> <laughs> what bathroom I'm al- reader I'm did you find? I'm already suspicious, <laughs> just based on his last name and the first name. I don't Joey, trust. I don't trust Joey a Skaggs. single Joey or anyone Who? named Skaggs. Who crapped in the punch bowl? <laughs> Skaggs. Not, not even bluegrass fiddler Ricky Skaggs. <laughs> you don't don't trust him. No, so he is a uh, a New York based performance artist and kind of media pranker, culture jammer. He's been doing this for God, forty years. His piece de resistance. Piece de That's resistance. How, however you say it. That's not how you say it. <laughs> piece of ass. <laughs> was a cat house for dogs. <laughs> that was literally. You could come in, pay fifty dollars. There would be seven or eight dog, female dogs who were all in heat, and your male dog could pick any one of them to sleep with for the night. And this was not breeding. If the they would give them a shot to put the the female dogs in heat, and if they were actually in heat, they would give them a contraceptive to make sure there is no breeding happening. And yeah, it was a reward for your your dog for being a good dog. They could basically go into a uh, bordello for dogs. Pillow works as well. <laughs> <laughs> Our laundry hamper is right. really really good for that too. And they they concocted they made this whole build. They had a building where you could come in, and they had it set up where there'd be women dressed in the same outfits as the dogs would bring the dogs out and they had male you know actors would come in with their dogs and they'd set it up 
and W like WABC came out and did a big story on this that actually won them an Emmy that year for one of the like best short form reporting. And to this day, they still refuse to accept that they got uh, got hoaxed. <laughs> they insist that no, this was a real thing, and now they've come up with this hoax story as a way to get out of trouble because there were actual uh, veterinarians who were threatening to get like law enforcement involved because this was so terrible for dogs. Where where did how does this person's career of play out? Is it in newspaper articles and newspaper television? Yeah. Uh, one time, Inside Edition wanted to do a story with him on him, and he really didn't want to do it. So he just sent a friend of his who looked nothing like him, <laughs> and Inside Edition didn't even blink, and they just ran ran the thing. They dug him up. He was buried under <laughs> under the earth. Yeah, he was the Cardiff Giant, <laughs> massive dong. Is it something akin to the Onion articles where they're so note perfect from a journalism standpoint that they get picked up and that they tap into a, a fear based populace you know that i I gotta say i'm gonna jump in that is my ultimate ultimate wish that donald trump would retweet an onion article as if it was true yeah that's the only thing i'm helping i'm holding out for just being like please please yeah just just do that because i know that you believe there's most of any of the nonsense that's Uh, written there oh there's a tumblr account that just is nothing but people (laughs) reacting shocked about onion articles as if since they actually believe them but yeah it's like that i mean all of the it's two things one he is incredibly good at being able to frame it either with a press release or a leaked memo or something like that so that it looks credible to a journalist mm-hmm. and he's able to find the art type of article that is just seems or the type yeah. of hoax that just seems probable enough yeah it's got to be insane yeah but it's probable enough to actually be real but crazy enough that they're going to jump all over mm-hmm. themselves to get the scoop on it yeah and rush through fact-checking and not even consider yeah. maybe, maybe this is a hoax. There's something fascinating with those sticky ideas. Like uh, when we were, I was a kid, um, nobody's going to remember this anymore, but Life Serial had a spokesperson named Mikey. And as a kid, oh, yeah. so many people had, Mikey likes had it. spread the idea that Mikey had died from drinking Coke with Pop Rocks inside of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. To a kid, that was the most exciting idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what made it so uh, retellable and and viral before that was even. A thing. It's it was probably that it wasn't just like the pop rocks and coke thing. It was pinned to such a slightly famous obscure Very person that you specific, all yeah. that you all know. And it's like if it was anybody else, it was a real celebrity. It wouldn't mm-hmm. mean anything. But it was just like oh you you know a child actor on a commercial. It was, that's it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Rodney we, Allen Rippy dying, dying of a uh, heroin overdose. But I can just see my grandpa going, "Huh, cat house for dogs, cat house for dogs, cat house for dogs," and finding. <laughs> oh, getting angry! Can you see people today, like on the internet, fuming about cat houses for dogs? Well, that leads. Okay, this is going to lead directly into my fourth one, which, I knew it. which is media, which is bonsaikitten.com. Whoa! Okay. Do you remember this? this? No. No. So this was like an, uh, a website back. Uh, really, it first came out at like at the end of two thousand. And uh, it was like a satirical website put up by this MIT student um, nerd who, who went at, he, who was posted under the name of Dr. Michael Wong Chang, which <laughs> it's just so slightly fake. Yeah. There's something there's something that's if it was just Dr. Michael Chang, that's fine. Uh-huh. Dr. Michael Wong, that's <laughs> fine. But Wong Chang just it seems like yeah. it's too close to Wang Chung. Yeah. Um, so it was like this website that had pictures of kittens that were in jars. 
and it oh it yeah pro- okay it I know reported this one. that uh, there was an ancient art of how to grow a kitten <laughs> in a glass jar oh, to be the perfect size like a bonsai yeah, so it's sure. bonsai kitten uh, the uproar that came out over like this humane society of America yeah. and the very pro friendly animal activist group they were incensed. Mm-hmm. And just demanded that it be taken down. It was like featured on like yeah. cruel.com for a while with links and um But big jars like thinking <laughs> we gotta we got some money to make off this. Um the Humane Society eventually got him like investigated by the FBI. Mm-hmm. But it was so obviously a fake. Right. And it was so yeah. obviously just like pictures of kittens in jars <laughs> that someone had taken. It was so uh, you know, Innocent, but like there was such a there's like a slightly malicious, you know, slant to it, mm-hmm. right? That people could actually believe it, and it's one of those things that has kind of persisted over the last fifteen years. Of it kind of goes around in an email chain, and it's like, can you believe what they what they're doing to, to cats? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? What are they doing to cats? Well, you know, they're they put they put these kittens in a jar. <laughs> what? And they, and they just and, it's, and it just takes off again. And they'll so basically there'll be like email chains that go around in like this weird kind of broken English that kind of describe it. It's it's almost like a, you know, an African prince situation. Yeah. But it's amazing how like you know, we talked about the hoaxiness of what you'd believe in the newspapers and yeah. the 1800s. It's just alive and well in the 2000s and on the internet it's just a, a different way different media that can get around much quicker mm-hmm. yeah what's your what's your fourth my fourth is crop circles oh, right. oh okay. okay which we all know the crop circle uh, concept started you know you started seeing these pop up really in the 19 i guess 70s in england and for a long time people insisted that well this was clearly an example of aliens are coming down maybe this is their spaceships kind of leaving these marks or maybe they're doing this kind of as a way to uh, signal us. And there's actually a whole crop of alleged scientists who would come in and investigate this and look apparently. at the crop circles. Apparently. Mm. Well, we can say this is not apparently. Turns out it was actually something that was concocted by two drunk British guys on a bet. On kind of a dare. So there was a... Uh, Man in a giant gorilla suit walking <laughs> around in circles. Everything. Always, <laughs> always a giant gorilla suit all the time. No, there was a, uh, in England, yeah, basically it was two guys that would just sit there and go out with like a piece of a stick and some rope, yeah. and they actually had like a little, like a thing set up that would put a rope on a baseball cap, and they could uh-huh. use that to make sure everything was straight, uh-huh. and yeah, they just went out there and started... Swing it around in a concentric circle, and it uh, makes a perfect circle. Makes right? a perfect circle, and they would just go out there and just start... Um, you know, just start making these circles. And they did it one, one time, kind of after hours, after having been at the pub the whole night. Do you think that they that they tried, like, crop ovals first? <laughs> and they did, like, just a, a litany of just different shapes. Uh, let's do crop hexagons. Doesn't look good. Uh, when did cable come to England? Because I blame the four channels that they probably had at the time. BBC One, I've Two, and Three. I've seen this Benny Hill before. Let's go out and cut down off crops. <laughs> I mean, so basically it was this guy, uh, one guy had heard this story about there's allegedly these crop circles in Australia that some farmer had said, oh, I saw an alien in the spaceship, and when I went over there, these circles were in the crops. And he thought it was bogus, so he went to his friend and said, I bet we can make those. 
and just sort of one night they went out and just got this iron bar, just started smoothing it down, made this perfect circle. Nobody really noticed, so a couple of years later, they went to this uh, <laughs> an area known as the Cheese Foot Head, which that is the most British thing British possible, <laughs> which is like right in this very touristy area. Yeah, Cheese Foot Head upon Avon, upon, upon Sterling. Avon, yeah. <laughs> and waited for, the wheat, waited for the wheat to grow and made one there's 80 feet. And then 24 hours later, people started flocking to it. Yeah. So they, I think they estimate that, that until like 1991, when they finally fessed up to it, they did like something like 300 of these. And after a while, people would start speculating it was a, uh, oh, well, it's just some sort of like weather phenomenon. That's something Stephen Hawking actually theorized it oh. might have been. It was, he said it was either a hoax or some sort of like wind vortex. Mm-hmm. So then <laughs> after they heard that, they went out and made it with like, um, like squares and rectangles and mm-hmm. very obvious shapes uh, so that people couldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Spelled out their, their name. <laughs> right. <laughs> they signed it and they did a little registered <laughs> trademark R with a circle, a crop circle around that. Um, in 85, one of the guy's wives became very concerned because his odometer on his car was much higher than it should have been for just going out to the pub for the night. Oh. <laughs> And so it's a good thing he drove. She, 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 he tried to explain that, okay, well, I do, I I go out with my friend and we go out and we do these crop circles. And she didn't believe him. So she asked him to, he asked her to to design her own crop circle. And she did. Then they went out and made it, showed it to her the next day. So she kind of went along with it. Everyone went went along with it till 1991. And they finally confessed and showed people how they did it. But there, but there were thousands of these made since then. It was just people copied it. So you not only had these original ones they did, you had hundreds, maybe thousands of them, Canada, the U.S., all over the world. And you would have these, uh, what are they called, serialologists, which was uh. the name that they, the crop uh, circle researchers gave themselves, would come out and they actually did one and brought somebody out a seriologist, and they looked at it and said, well, there's no way this could have been made by man. And then they showed them ex- him exactly how they did it. Which kind of shows, again, it's amazing how some of these things can take on the, a life of their own. And you've got, mm-hmm. like I said, copycat people who do this. And today, they've become, this has become so popular that farmers will hire people to come and do this in their crop fields just to get some attention. Mm. You know, adverti- Advertisers will contract with farmers to put advertisements near airports, for yeah. example, yeah. in England. And people make money doing this. So it's just this its this fascinating thing. And I just remember it was one that I thought was plausible for a while or something. Like I remember when you first heard about crop circles, it's like, okay, this is kind of strange. And you hear somebody like Stephen Hawking talking about, well, maybe it was like weather vortexes. Okay, this seems – maybe it's not aliens, but there's plausible mm-hmm. that there's something going yeah. on. It does nope. seem like a ridiculous thing for one to even do to their own farmland. <laughs> to, to, to do oh, they'd go into other people's yeah. farmlands. Okay. Yeah. And that, seems, that seems about right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, quick impression of the first critic of crop circles. More like crap circles. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, we've, uh, each of the gentlemen have registered both four choices, uh, each of their choices of hoaxes, and this has been super fun uh, category. I'm going to just say real quickly... Um, mine, I, I was originally going to go with Orson Welles and War of the Worlds. And one, I realized it wasn't a hoax. It was just a programming um, phenomenon where everybody was listening to the Edgar Bergen show, got bored, switched over to this uh, Mercury uh, Playhouse where they were doing this reenactment of this, or live reading of this, of uh, H.G. Wells' book. 
Well, people didn't hear the beginning where they it was obviously a, a drama that's and so they got really upset because the radio at that time held so much gravitas and this was one of the first documentary style dramas to be presented. So many people went crazy, but um, that and because I dig Orson Welles, he was just a larger than life character. But the most recent entertainment uh, I've received from a kind of a hoax type person that this uh, Kenny K. Strass Strasser, the uh, yoga ex yo 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 expert um, that was. Um, uh, going from one side of the country to the other, doing daytime um, regional talk shows where he would uh, go and do a yo-yo de demonstration and inevitably um, falter and the yo-yos would fall off. And he, he would say this was a demonstration he would give at schools and it was so pathetic and sad. And then later on, he revealed himself to be an actor who was performing in the style of like Andy Kaufman. And hmm. that, uh, that hoax got him a recurring character on The Office. Oh, wow. Um, the guy is, is an actor named Mark Proksh, and he played Nate from the warehouse on um, the last oh. few seasons of The Office. But it was such a deadpan delivery, and he created such this pathetic character as his yo-yos would get tangled up, and he would just <laughs> just become like a deer in the headlights, and the the, the show hosts would, wouldn't know what to do either. Right. And the more he became pathetic, the more they revealed themselves to be these vacuous hairdo loser idiots who could never make it in a uh, network. And so they were doing these regional shows. Okay, so uh, these guys have done a great job of picking uh, just each of you four very engaging, funny, exciting um, examples of hoaxes. And they all run the gamut. Um, you know, Richards, I thought you really did a great job um, with your sports one with Sid Finch and the Cardiff Giant, which is kind of one of the kind of a fun historical hoax. And Joey Skaggs, I never heard of this this kind of uh, culture hacker there, and so I definitely have to go look him up in crop circles. The, I was just the visual aspect of that hoax. Could it have been so dramatic if not for aerial photography? Exactly. Like that, you know, so it's pretty good. Oh, I went with Michael on this just because of the sheer joy, or maybe just alcohol consumption, he showed in his list. Um, uh, starting with Bigfoot. I mean, that's I think almost this the mama bear of hoaxes. We love. With that so much, and I'm as one of the world's biggest Beatles fan, the Paul McCartney hoax was something that I spent hours pouring through album covers and books and and magazines to kind of look for any evidence of that. And Jeff is the walrus. I am the walrus. Google Jube, Google Jube, uh, the Great Moon hoax. I I'd never heard that before, nor the hoax that predated it, uh, and the Bonsai Kitten hoax. <laughs> that was very. Compelling. You're gonna go right now. Yeah, right now, that. immediately. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm talking because I. Hey know guys, you... guys, wait, hold on. Breaking news. Trump's just dropped out. Oh, yay! <laughs> That's not not really. Let's see if they can get him to fake oh, it. Believe it, okay? Okay. Oh, yeah, no, he dropped out. A UPI just reported this. So oh, it's got to so, be. Yeah, absolutely. So that's true. You've heard it on a podcast, so that must be true. Yes. Okay, well, hey, um, we're going to go celebrate. This has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I've been Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Or am I Richard? What just happened? <laughs>